Brooklyn is everything. Home to icons, bar racers, and startups who are just getting started. And for all who live here, home to great health care. New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist Hospital with doctors from Weill Cornell Medicine, a new center for community health, and endless empathy for everyone. Stay Brooklyn. Stay amazing. Join Planet Fitness today and get more epic energy and better sleep with tons of equipment in our clean and spacious clubs. Join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, October 14th. It's glow time. See club for details. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me today is the senior draft analyst for milehighhuddle.com. You know him. You love him. He is Eric Trickle. Eric Thanks, brother, for uh, joining me again for the podcast. I don't know if you saw this, just I wanted to get your take on this, that Daniel Jeremiah, he said his top five defenses, he he tweeted it out, he listed the Broncos at four. Do you think that's bullish or bearish? Do you think that's a high ranking, or do you think he's maybe selling them short? I think it's pretty spot on. My floor for them is they should at worst be a top eight defense because they have all the personnel and they have the new coaching staff. As long as they're putting guys in the position to succeed and do what they're best at and are able to stay healthy, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I, if they were top three, so it's just, it's right in that range. I have them. I agree. It's, it's about, it's maybe, I don't know the, the names that he had up there, the teams that he had up there off the top of my head. I know Jacksonville was number one Chicago. I think he had his two. But it might have been – oh, yeah, and the Chargers three and the Cowboys five. So the Broncos were sandwiched in between the Cowboys and the Chargers. You can make a case for any one of those three teams to be in front of the Broncos. But you can also make a case for why the Broncos should be in front of each one of those teams. But at the, at the same time, you have to recognize that even though in 2017 the Broncos finished 5-11, and 11, as we can all painfully remember, well – Despite that finish, the Broncos' defense that year were one of only two teams to finish in the top five against both the run and the pass. The only other team to do it was Minnesota, who got to the NFC Championship game. So that defense was still a polished and sharp tool in 2017. Last year, though, they took a step back. They finished as like the number 22 overall defense. So I can understand, even with the injection of Vic Fangio and all the in the additions and free agency and all that, I can understand how some out there might want to see it before they believe it. Yeah, I definitely understand it. I mean, especially with when you're looking at the defense, especially the cornerbacks and the defensive backs, there's so much inconsistency and health concerns with Chris Harris, Bryce Callahan, and Kareem Jackson all having having a pretty serious injury history. I mean, Chris Harris is coming back from his, and he's all word is he's good to go, but he's also getting up there in age. So there's definitely plenty of concerns there to – be bullish on it, but still, I think I still think that they'll be at worst a top eight defense. So, I mean, there's just too much talent all around and in the right places to be be as bad as they were last year. How big of a deal do you think it is for fans to worry 
about Fangio as a play caller going from 19 years, well, 18 of his 19 years in the NFL as a defensive coordinator calling plays, having done so from the from the booth, this time having to go back to calling plays from the sideline, which he's only done once before as an NFL play caller. I'm not – I'm personally not too concerned about it. I get why other people are. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as waiting to see it before you believe it. But it gives you a different viewpoint, but you still get the same kind of information and everything like that. So everything else is still the same. It's just a different viewpoint. I mean, and that's not going to change how he calls the plays at all. I mean, he's done weeks worth of film and study on the opposing defense or the opposing offense to know how to attack them and everything. And then during the game, again, he's getting the information that he needs to. So I, I don't think it's that as big of a deal as I've seen many other fans make it out to be. Yeah. Plus he's going to get five preseason exhibition games to kind of iron out the kinks and, you know, yep. go through the trial and error. So, well, it's going to be fun to see how this Broncos defense takes shape. I thought that was an interesting article and tweet from uh, Daniel Jeremiah. Now today, of course, it's all about the VIP mile high mailbag. We're going to dive into that here in just a second, but first really quickly, a reminder, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at huddle up pod. That's the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. If you're on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. If you're on YouTube, like comment, all that good stuff. We appreciate your support. That's the best way to continue to support the huddle up podcast. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. All right, it is that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I, we're your football priests. We have ordained Eric. Every time he's with us, he's one of the crew. He's one of the the football men of the cloth. And today we have to provide you, as always, the absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And we always love engaging with the VIP subscribers. And Eric does a great job of staying engaged with our VIPs on the MHH Insiders VIP forum. But we got a few questions here, Eric. Let's set them up, knock them down for the VIPs. Then we'll take a couple questions from Twitter, and uh, we'll see what's cooking on YouTube as well. But this one comes from Stud Lee 14 going on six months as a VIP subscriber. I'll let you. I'll serve this over to you first, Eric. He says, 
of the 2018 rookies, who do you think is most likely to suffer from the, quote, sophomore slump? This one is a little bit difficult difficult for me to answer because typically when you're talking about somebody uh, suffering a sophomore slump, it's somebody who had a really good rookie year. And I don't think that Philip Lindsay, who was unquestionably the best rookie last year for the Broncos, I don't see him having a slump. I mean, unless he gets hurt again, but I, to me, a slump is somebody who's playing in the game, just not performing as well. I don't think Bradley Chubb is. I fully expect him to take a next step forward. Same with Corlin Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton. So, of the rookies last year, I'd probably go with Royce Freeman, the most likely to suffer a sophomore slump. But even he wasn't all that great last year. I mean, he was pretty solid before the injury, but the injury really changed him. And so he's the one that I'd pick the most. But outside of him, I have a hard time finding a rookie who I really consider potentially having a sophomore slump kind of season. Yeah, I mean, you're right. In order for it to slump, it has to come from a higher median average. And if you look at the best, I mean, it was a great rookie class in 2018, obviously. There's a reason why John Elway has been lauded. They set a lot of all-time marks in the NFL. That that crew set a lot of franchise marks. So definitely a lot of talent there. But if you look at the best individual performances, you got to start with Bradley Chubb. Then you go to Cortland Sutton. You can throw Royce Freeman in there because he had a first – the first half of the season for him was phenomenal before he got hurt. Of course, Phillip Lindsay, Deshaun Hamilton contributed, Josie Jewell. I think if you were – I mean, obviously the most prolific guys were Bradley Chubb and Philip Lindsay, and I concur with you, Eric, that barring an injury, I don't see Philip Lindsay taking a step backward in year two in that sophomore slump. So even though it's not me making any kind of bold prediction, I don't think this is going to happen. I'd have to probably say Bradley Chubb. I'd have to, just to answer the question here, which guy is most likely to suffer from a sophomore slump, going through all the technical things that define that, I think Bradley Chubb, and here's, here's why I say that. He got out to a slow start, and then he, in the middle of the season, went on a rampage. And yet, with whatever it was, four, it might even been five games to go, he was within two and a half sacks, that striking distance of tying. If he would have got three sacks, he would have broke the all-time single-season sack record for a rookie, and he was shut out the whole rest of the season. I think the final three games, at least off the top of my head, he, went, he was held without a sack. So he kind of ended on a slump, and even though I think, Eric, that – Vic Fangio is going to come in and work miracles with Bradley Chubb. You know, it wouldn't completely shock me to see him maybe not necessarily, maybe hover somewhere around eight or nine sacks as opposed to the 12 he notched as a rookie. I can get that. I just think that one reason why I didn't go with him is because last year down the stretch, there were some injuries that happened on the defensive line, and that really seemed to affect Bradley Chubb, which is why towards the end of the season, he kind of faltered a little bit. I, think the defensive line this year is going to be much improved not just by the scheme but better talent having someone like Draymond Jones in there who can get that pressure up the middle is something that they definitely have been missing and that's just I think that's just going to help Bradley Chubb so that's why again that's why I went with Royce Freeman even though I don't feel comfortable with it because he doesn't he didn't have that great of a rookie year right but I mean of the three Sutton Chubb and Lindsey I I don't think any of them will really have that sophomore slump type of season. Yeah, and I really don't think so either. For what it's worth, everybody listening, yeah. neither one of us really think that the top guys from last year are going to take a step back. But at least, uh, you know, we got to answer the question. Now, this next one, Eric, comes from Stuart Bronco, going on two months as a VIP subscriber, so relatively new to the crew. He's kind of got a two-part question, and the first one involves Tyreek Hill. 
I, I'll be honest with you, the, the story that you're referencing there, Stuart, I haven't spent a lot of time reading the latest on Tyreek Hill. So we'll pass on that one and just go to your second one here where he says, Eric, also, who do you guys think could be this year's quasi Philip Lindsay? In other words, who could be this year's surprise breakout player? It can be an undrafted player from last year or a rookie this year, as long as they aren't expected to be a star. I'm thinking, he says, Trey Marshall on defense or Deshaun Hamilton on offense. What do you think, Eric? I really like the Trey Marshall pick. I think that he is a guy who can definitely step up. We talked about him on the podcast the other day that he really impressed me last preseason, and I'm glad that they were able to keep him around. And this year, the safety is kind of – I mean, the depth for it, at least, is kind of up in the air. So he definitely has a chance for it. But as for a guy that I think that can definitely be this year's surprise breakout player, I'm looking at Malik Reed, the undrafted edge player this year. And I remember, I think it was like last December or something, last, or November, I can't remember when exactly, I just remember it was the end of last year, I turned on a game of an offensive tackle that I was scouting, and they were going against Nevada, and Malik Reed just completely owned him. This guy, he's a really good athlete, he's good at getting after the quarterback, and he's athletic enough to drop back in coverage. He's that versatile, hybrid type, edge, off-ball linebacker that can you know, again, get after the quarterback or drop in coverage. The issue is that he does struggle against the run, but he's definitely a guy that I think that can come in and provide some much-needed depth at Ed Rusher that the Broncos seem to be lacking. I'm glad that we got a chance to talk about Malik Reed because I've even said on the podcast a few times that I've wanted to get your opinion on him. When the Broncos signed him, you, Nick, I mean, you were like, hey, that's that's an underrated pickup, you know, probably a guy that should have been drafted. Back, look out for him. He could be a dark horse. So I'm like, yeah, you know. And just like most of the college free agents and, and all the rookies the Broncos end up with each year, I go on and, I'm, I, and I watch some film and kind of get an evalu- like a base evaluation myself. So when I turned on some games from Malik Reed, I can't remember the, the matchups, who, the, who he was going against, but I watched two full cut-ups on Malik Reed. And maybe I just picked two bad games, but watching him, he was always a day late and a dollar short to the ball. To me, he seemed slow. So I don't know. You know, I'm not as nuanced on on scouting, obviously, as you are, Eric. But am I wrong on that? What does he bring to the table specifically, and why do you think it was that he went undrafted? Well, one reason why I think that he went undrafted is because he does kind of have a a slow get off when it comes to getting off the snap. Um, it's very it's very inconsistent. Sometimes it's really good, but more often than not, he's not the last one, but he's not the first one either. Then there's definitely a concern about his size. He was a little bit underweight, played more of a, at the size of kind of modern day off ball linebackers, but he can't do that kind of job full time with his skill set. And so the concerns there, I think that played into a part of him being undrafted. And then the issues of that against the run just really come to mind because he was constantly getting pushed off the point of attack and being unable to really hold his ground. But his last two years, statistically, he absolutely killed it. And just really, again, he just impressed me. I'm not sure what games you watched. And I know that there was, I, I know there was a couple games of his that were really like, okay, this is why he's not getting talked about more. Yeah. I thought that he was definitely a day, day three pick somewhere probably the fifth or sixth round but there's definitely some really bad games to his that he had over his time but 
when he's on, he's on. But when he's off, it's definitely off. Yeah. And also, I noted during a couple games of his that there, were, I also had some questions about his effort too, which also could have played a role into him going undrafted. That jumped out to me as well. Effort at times, motor, questionable motor, and then also he just seemed stiff to me. And again, I don't have the tr- as trained and fine an eye towards scouting and and the different tools and traits as, as someone like yourself. So. I, I enjoy being able to bounce this off you and get your thoughts on it. And who knows? He, you know, maybe he could come in and and be that kind of dark horse breakout player for the Broncos. Because as we talked about on the previous podcast with you, Eric, you got Von Miller, you got Bradley Chubb, and then it kind of falls off a cliff in terms of proving. I mean, you got Dakota Watson, but as an off-ball line or a, a edge rusher, he's never really produced as a starter. I think honestly, his best years on defense throughout his career was that short window in Tampa in which he played off ball. And I think even in, in New England he played off ball, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have it right in front of me. But but uh, behind, yeah, there's a great opportunity for Jeff Holland. There's a great opportunity for Malik Reed, And it'll be interesting to see how Justin Holland f- factors into that as far as the edge. But, hey, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I mean, far be it from me to pan any one of these guys. I want them to succeed. And I hope Malik Reed can kind of be that next Shaq Barrett. One other guy I'll throw out there as, oh, I think, well, you threw it out there, actually, uh, Stuart. I think Deshaun Hamilton has a chance to be really good this year. I mean, if you go back and look at his tape, his 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 stats, not a lot to it leaves a lot to be desired. On paper, it doesn't seem like he was that good. I mean, he averaged less than ten yards per catch last year, but he suffered from highly questionable quarterback play. And by the time he was really seeing a lot of playing time, Emmanuel Sanders had been done for the season, and Cortland Sutton could not win. So Cortland Sutton was not winning his matchups on the outside. And so it kind of left Deshaun Hamilton as the only guy to produce. Mostly it came between the hashes. And so you saw his route running ability, though. You saw his hands, his fearlessness across the middle. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in year two. And, you know, depending on how Emmanuel Sanders recovers and exactly what his timetable to return ends up being and what form of Emmanuel Sanders ends up returning to the field, Deshaun Hamilton could be in line for a significant uptick in playing time this year. I agree. He's definitely one that I would consider too for a breakout player. And I think that one thing that you didn't mention is this change of offensive scheme. Last year, it was like Bill Musgrave was just trying to was playing chess against himself, I guess would be the (laughs) way to put it. His play calling at at, at best, a lot of the time was shoddy and I'm, just I didn't get it. I mean, he would constantly go away from things that would that were working. He wouldn't use players to their best skill set, which was a whole issue of that of that last horrible coaching staff, yep. which I was actually optimistic about at one point. But anyways, the offensive play calling, the offensive scheme, it's definitely one that I think would really benefit Hamilton and his really good route running. He's probably the best route runner on the team. And that's saying quite a bit because Emmanuel Sanders is really good too. Yep. But Deshaun Hamilton is so good. He's so refined with his route running that I think that they're definitely going to be able to call plays and scheme him open basically. Yeah. And he's got a lot of heart, man. He's a, yeah, he's, he doesn't look like it. I mean, if you just see him without his pads on, he's got his glasses on his dreads, like he looks like a pretty chill dude. And he probably is on a personal level, but when he puts the pads on, He's a leader, he's fiery, he's competitive, and I mean, by what was it, week f- 
five on the road in New York, which the Broncos lost that game to Sam Darnold. I mean, you had Zach Azani with Demarius Thomas still on the team and healthy, completely healthy, trying to sit Demarius Thomas reps-wise, not for the whole game, but sitting him down yeah. to give Hamilton more of an opportunity, which created a little bit of a, a rift between uh, Demarius Thomas, Deshaun Hamilton, and, and of course Zach Azani. And, and it was whatever, three weeks later that he ended up getting dealt away so that Hamilton could have some more room to grow as well as Cortland Sutton. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Keep an eye on Trey Marshall. Keep an eye on Deshaun Hamilton. Those were two good names, Stuart, that you put out there as possibilities this year. And then as Eric said, keep an eye on Malik Reed. And we'll, we'll start to see what's what with him when we get to training camp in the preseason. Now, next question here comes from Burke, 2105, going on three months as a VIP subscriber. Burke says, are there any players that the team is high on that fans might be overlooking, Eric? Yes, there's definitely maybe. And if you read my piece about the minicamp studs and duds, a couple of them were actually in there. Austin Fort and Bug Howard, this is a guy that – these are two guys that I've heard nothing but praise about. They've constantly going in, they're working hard, and they're standing out. They're making plays. And at a tight end position that has so many concerns, that's fantastic that they're doing that. I mean, it's going to help the depth there. It's going to help push other tight ends there. If they really are giving everybody their fair shot, these, guys, these two guys definitely have a chance. And outside of them, there is one of the undrafted rookie offensive linemen. I can't remember which one. He's been Mike, from what I've heard, Mike Munchak has really taken to him and he's really doing great job basically taking everything that Munchak is teaching him and putting it into effect immediately. Um, I can't remember which one it is, though. Is it Leglu? But he's definitely, huh? Is it Leglu? Yes. Yeah. And uh, and then there was a defensive back, too, that's been getting quite a bit of praise. Lyndon Stevens is a defensive back that's from what I've heard, has been looking really good. Again, he's basically, he's kind of still a little raw, but he's progressing every day and making great strides forward. And people have already been talking about if he doesn't make the roster, he's definitely one that's going to make the practice squad. But they always cover that with the fact of, got to see how he does in the games first. So those are a few guys that are definitely standing out that I've heard about. Yeah. I think one guy who might have more you know, more of a, a spark in the eyes of the Broncos than the fans also is the sixth-round rookie, Jawan Winfrey. When he came to that regional combine before the draft and worked out, he impressed the heck out of Zach Azani, and that really basically sealed the deal in terms of keeping him high on the board. When the Broncos rolled around in the sixth, they traded up to grab him. I think they, they're, a lot more, they're a lot higher on Jawan Winfrey, Eric, than maybe some of the fans, even those in, in Colorado who got to watch him play uh, for those couple of years with the Buffs. I definitely can see that. I'm still a little bullish on Winfrey simply because he's still very raw to me, but there's been a lot of positive praise coming out about him that uh, basically one thing that I, I think that a lot of fans are doing is they're just kind of writing him off because he's a six-round pick. But yeah, this he is a player that the Broncos definitely believe in. And I think I can't remember who it was that came out and said it, but I think it was his agent who told the Broncos that he will be this year's Philip Lindsay. And there's a few people that do believe that that will be the case. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. And even Deshaun Hamilton, they they put him at the podium on one of the avail media availability days during OTAs, and he was asked about Jawan Winfrey. What are your thoughts on him? How's the rookie doing? Yada yada. 
And I thought it was an interesting comment that he made about Winfrey saying that, you know what, for a guy that's 6'3", he's surprisingly twitchy. That surprised Deshaun Hamilton how twitchy Juwan Winfrey is. That's that's not something that I really can speak on because twitch you can kind of catch on tape a little bit, but for the most part it's easier to see in person. But uh, he definitely has some moves and is able to make people miss. That's something that's obvious on tape. And uh, he has – not great speed, but good speed. So yeah, I I like him. I liked his tape. I thought that I definitely had him pegged as a guy that I would like to see Denver get undrafted. Right. Sixth round was a little high for me, but uh, hey, if he ends up proving me wrong and making me a crow, I'll be happy about it. Yeah, and there's there's definitely something there on the intangible side that the Broncos really yeah. liked about him. So uh, and they've been right the last the last you know they're on a roll as far as the last eighteen months as far as their gut telling them on the intangible side which guys that to gravitate towards. So hopefully uh, they continue on that roll with Jawan Winfrey. Now last question from the VIP mailbag. Uh, mailbag. We'll answer this, then we'll take a quick break. Hit Twitter. Hit YouTube. This comes from Bronco Fan five 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 five. He is a longtime member. Going on, gosh, 147 months. He's been a VIP. He's been a premium VIP subscriber on the site before I even took over as publisher of Mile High Huddle um, and started Mile High Huddle on the Scout Network. He he hung around for a long time with the network, and he's a moderator. He does a great job on the boards. But here's what he says. One of my big concerns that seems to be ignored from last year in our discussions, but which I think is a huge issue, is the Broncos' strength and conditioning coach. After Luke Richardson departed for the Texans, Lauren Landau took over that position. It seemed like he had a great professional pedigree and resume, and the transition would be seamless. In reality, though, it seems like the Broncos had an inordinate amount of injuries, especially to players like Chris Harris, Emmanuel Sanders, who have relatively been injury-free throughout their careers. Was this just a fluke? Was it bad luck of the draw, the law of averages catching up to the Broncos in one year? Or maybe is Landau's strength and conditioning abilities a step down from those of Richeson? If the last suggestion is the actual case, has Mr. Landau learned from this and put new practices and procedures in place that might remedy this situation? As we all know, the injury bug, or lack thereof, can influence the outcome of a season in a major way. Let's hope we don't see a repeat of last year. Now, Eric, before I serve this over to you, let me just say a couple things to the listeners. One, we don't really know. NFL teams guard zealously the details of their strength and conditioning protocols, and and that's just the way it is. We we don't have any particular special insight or knowledge on exactly what you know processes and protocols Lauren Landau utilizes that might differ or depart from Luke Richardson. My assumption would be they're pretty dang similar. Obviously, there's something different he brings to the table than Richardson. You know, everyone, they, I'm sure each each strength coach has their kind of unique focuses and attributes. But, Eric, there is some truth to the idea that the Broncos seem to particularly be bitten by the injury bug last year. And I'm not one who typically believes in coincidences. After Luke Richardson had such a long run with the Broncos where he was able to, for the most part, I mean, there was a couple of freak deals like Ryan Clady, but for the most part, he was able to keep the Broncos in remarkable health. And so in one fell swoop, this very first season he departs to have such a string of injuries, Matt Paradis included. I mean, you got to wonder a little bit. I understand people's misgivings. For me, injuries just happen. I know that strength and conditioning can help with them, 
but sometimes a freak play just causes a freak injury. And I think that's what the case is a lot of it. But I do want to point out, though, that he mentions Emmanuel Sanders being relatively healthy for his whole career. He's only played a full season twice, and he's been in the league since 2010. And the first time he did it was 2014, his first year with the Broncos, and then 2016, his third year with the Broncos. Last two years, he's missed at least six games, six and seven games, or sorry, four and five games, respectively. Can't do math right now, apparently. So I wouldn't say that he's really relatively healthy. He, there's always something that comes up with him that ends up either landing him on injury reserve or causing him to miss multiple games. Chris Harris, that one's definitely a bummer, but that just seemed to be kind of a freak injury kind of thing and just bad timing, really. And uh, if the Broncos made it to the playoffs, he would have been able to come back for that. But I also look at it that there are a few couple players that have been banged up the last few the few years prior to last year that managed to get through the season relatively unscathed. So to me, injuries, strength and conditioning does have an effect on it. I don't think that Landau was the reason behind all of this. I just think that it just was bad luck, basically. Yeah, and hopefully that's all it is. I'm open yeah. to the possibility, you know, because football is a violent game. It's an explosive game. There's going to be casualties. There's going to be collateral damage. So hopefully uh, they can get back on track and avoid that that bad luck in 2019. Now we still have a few more questions we're gonna we're gonna take here on today's episode. First though, you guys, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, so let's uh, before we get out of here, Eric, let's take a couple questions from Twitter and then we'll see what we've got in YouTube and uh, then we'll get out of here. This one comes from Jedi Joshua on Twitter. Now he's also a VIP subscriber. But on Twitter, he's at JediJoshua58. I recommend him. He's a great follow, very knowledgeable football fan, very engaged, awesome, awesome dude. Joshua says, hey, fellas, hope things have been well for all the Huddle Up crew. What are Brendan Langley's chances of sticking to the roster? And have you guys heard any insider news on Sua Cravens? Eric, I'll let you handle this one. With Brendan Langley, the big key is that he's got to get more nuanced as a route runner. He's got the speed. I mean, I know everybody was making a big deal that – Joe Flacco managed to overthrow a receiver 70 yards down the field. Brendan Langley was the receiver, and he was running at a full sprint and had basically left everybody on defense behind. He definitely has the speed, but just the finer things of being a receiver just aren't there yet. I've heard positive feedback about it, about him growing, but he still has a ways to go. So his shot at the roster, I mean, wide receiver, there's – depending on what happens with Manuel Sanders, if he starts the season on the pup list or not – there's probably four guys that are guaranteed to make it counting Sanders. So again, he's up in the, up in the air, yeah. but so you're then get to the debate of, are you keeping five receivers or are you keeping six? So there's definitely a huge battle there. Jawan Renfrey, he's definitely fighting for it. So he's got to show the finer things of being a receiver. As for Sua Cravens, I've heard that there's, been some positives coming from him but i've heard some negatives as well the negatives have been kind of the same things i was hearing last year the playbook he isn't quite grasping it that sometimes his attitude doesn't fit with the bronco way that he is just not always there even though he's there just that the and basically that even practice seems at times to be a little bit too fast for him he hits hard he should be able to be a has that potential to be that type of player that can come in and help handle tight ends, but it's got to all click for him in his head first before we get to that. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Now, next question here actually comes from Cole Mason on Twitter, at Cole Mason 4. It's regarding Jawan Winfrey, and I think we've already kind of covered that ground, Cole. If there was something that we missed out, feel free to hit us up again on the next mailbag. So let's go to one more here on Twitter. Uh, this one comes from Denver. It says, Denver, eight nine seven eight eight six two one. He says, we know that the Dolphins were laughing about the Juwan uh, James trade. How is he for real? Now, Eric, it, for, for the benefit of our listeners, there was a report not long after the Broncos acquired him as a free agent um, that it wasn't a trade, obviously, but as after they acquired him as, as a free agent, that the Dolphins were laughing that the Broncos paid him so much. At the time, you know, highest paid right tackle in NFL history before we realized that uh, Trent Brown was going to be playing right tackle for the Raiders. So Dolphins laughing, aha, the Broncos are suckers. What's your thought on Jawan James? I've spoken to people in the NFL that are somewhat close to the Dolphins, and they don't get where that report came from. They He was a player that they wanted to keep. They do think that Denver paid a little bit more than he's worth for it, but the reasoning for that is because of health concerns with him, not play. Everybody I've spoken to has been that the play is good enough. The play is definitely an improvement for what Denver has. Miami wanted to keep him, weren't willing to pay him that price. So maybe they're laughing at the price, but they it's definitely a player that I know that they, that they wanted to keep. Yeah, and for what it's worth. Von Miller, and who knows, maybe he's just building the guy up. But he's already said that Juwan James is the best right tackle he's ever practiced against. So take that for what it's worth. Really the big – I mean, Eric hit the nail on the head. The biggest question for Juwan James is availability. He's got to stay healthy. And granted, you know, being held out of some practices during OTAs slash minicamp, for precautionary purposes, you know, it doesn't assuage some of the concerns in the fan base. But this is one of those situations where we just got to wait to see him hit the field – Hopefully he can stay on the field because if he does, I think the Broncos tackle duo, I think they can, they can make some hay this year. You know, if, if Bowles takes that next step under the direction of Mike Munchak and James stays healthy, could be a great tackle duo. We'll see how it shakes out. Now, last question. This one's going to come from YouTube, from great listener, part of that community of ours on YouTube. His name is D Brown. Eric, he says, am I wrong for hoping Joe Flacco – is good enough to keep Drew Locke on the bench for two to three years? No, I don't think that being a fan of a team, I don't think that it's ever wrong for you to hope that the starting quarterback is good is good enough to keep a rookie on the bench. I mean, hopefully that he is. Hopefully that Denver is able to be a competitive team for him. Hopefully that they are able to bring Drew Locke along, not slowly, but not basically throwing him to the wolves either. There's definitely a lot for Drew Locke to work on. So the more time they can get for that, there's the better. But there's definitely also that factor then that there hits a certain point where sitting on the bench isn't a good thing for a player. I'm not saying that that was the issue with Brock Osweiler, but that could have been part of it, is that he sat on the bench just a little bit too long behind Peyton Manning, that they weren't able to get him out there, get him in front of you know, actual defenses and actually having to play games to see where he's at and where he has to fix in order to work in the game. So there's definitely a fine line there. I would say that three years is pushing it, but I definitely think that a year and a half, maybe two, I think that's, I think that's perfectly fine and perfectly should be, should be perfectly acceptable for a fan to be wishing for their team. Because if Joe Flacco is good enough for Denver to be competitive, then why complain? Why make a switch? Yep. I mean, honestly, I think for Broncos fans, as excited as fans are for 
Drew Locke and what the Drew Locke era might look like in Denver. If Joe Flacco is carrying the Broncos after three straight playoff misses back to the playoffs, if he's able to do help do that in year one, and then in year two can even take him a little bit farther, I mean, with this defense and the young talent on offense and if the offensive line comes together, I mean, that's just simply a formula you don't want. You don't want to tempt fate, you know? And so going into – if that's how it shakes out and going into year three – you you know maybe it's a situation where that's that's Flacco's final year on his deal, and you force them to compete in an open competition in camp and just let the chips fall. But but yeah, I don't think you're wrong to want that because if if Drew Lock sits, that means the Broncos are succeeding at the bottom line, right? If Drew if Drew Lock sits for three years, that's because the Broncos have won a lot of games under Joe Flacco. We'll see how it shakes out. But you guys, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. As always, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find Eric on Twitter, at Eric Trickle. Myself, at Chad N. Jensen. And don't forget to follow Zach Kelberman, at Kelberman247. There will be a fresh episode of Building the Broncos waiting for you on Saturday, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Eric and I will be back to drop a fresh episode for you waiting there in your iTunes or on your downloads first thing Monday morning, so stay tuned for that. Have a great weekend. In the meantime, for Eric Trickle, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.